Mac Power Users, Episode 305, Travel Tips with Amateur Traveler, Chris Christensen. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm well, David. How are you? Excellent. And uh, we got a guest with us today, Chris Christensen. Welcome to the show, Chris. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show, although I should say you're actually talking about uh, the name you're mentioning there. Christensen is Adam Christensen's name. My name is Christensen. Similar. You know, but, uh, I didn't pronounce it very well, did I? <laughs> and I, I had uh, a boss for 14 years who used to say it wrong, so it's no problem. Christensen. Christensen. Well, got you're, I got to say, you're always Chris the podcaster to me. Yeah. <laughs> Chris the amateur traveler. Yeah. Well, and what that comes from is is I've kind of known of Chris way back since the early Buzz Out Loud days. Out I think loud, yeah. we were both mutual listeners to that show and you called in a time or two and your handle was always Chris the Podcaster. And um, I think the first time we met, maybe at one of the early Macworlds, I, I, I was like, it's Chris the Podcaster. <laughs> so. The funny thing is I just recently started doing some tech in travel segments for uh, Tom Merritt's uh, new show. And, you know, one minute segments at the end on technology and travel. And he introduced the first one as Chris, the podcaster. And I haven't used that name now for years. So it was a <laughs> kind of a blast from the past. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, me. and Chris, you've got um, 501 episodes of the Amateur Traveler podcast. So so we're a baby podcast compared to yours. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I actually do three podcasts, so I'm over 1,100 episodes total uh, for weekly podcast episodes. So, Well, I, I don't understand. Yikes. How come you're not at 1,200? <laughs> I maybe. I, I honestly don't. I don't pay that much attention to it anymore. So, <laughs> Well, we want to talk to you, and we've done some shows about travel in the past, but Chris has kind of a unique take on some of this stuff. One of the things we want to get into is dealing with, um, you know, how do you get places, which is something you have a unique take on we haven't talked about before. Uh, before we get into the nitty gritty, however, just one notice out to the listeners, uh, Mac Power Users Live this this month is going to come out one week early on February 27th instead of the first Saturday of March. It's the last Saturday of February. So get those comments in. But um, yeah. uh, with, with that handled, let's get into uh, talking about how you got started as the amateur traveler. Yeah. So, Chris, so you've been doing uh, Amateur Traveler since 2005. What, you know, back then podcasting was a fairly new medium. What made you want to do a podcast and then decide that travel was going to be your thing? You know, the funny thing is when I started podcasting, I thought I was late getting in because it had been going on for almost a year uh, at the time. So I started listening to podcasts through uh, This Week in Tech, uh, basically through Leo Laporte, because I was following him on his TV show and you know, you listen to it for a while and then you get bit by the bug. You start falling in love with podcasting. You think I got to make my own show. And I thought about doing, um, I thought about doing a tech show. It would have been a Mac show, but by that point, Adam Christensen had already been doing Mac cast. So I thought, Oh, that's done. We don't need two of those. No, that's actually Adam Christensen. <laughs> no, no, he's Christensen. <laughs> We're just giving you time. And, uh, you know, I thought about doing a religion show and I actually do one now. But then we had some friends over for a Memorial Day barbecue and all the best stories were travel stories. And and basically at that point, I decided, you know, I, what became Amateur Traveler was going to start. And we started you know, basically July 2nd. So about a month after that date. 
Now, the show is obviously, your first show was titled Amateur Traveler, which would lead one to believe that you, at least at that time, were an amateur traveler. Probably now you're more of a professional traveler, but how frequently, I mean, travel, is that something that you did just for fun as a more of a hobby or, you know, how frequently were you traveling at the point in time that you decided to start the show? Well, I had a full-time job at that point as a VP of engineering and operations for a Silicon Valley startup company, a software startup company. Uh, running uh, online communities. Uh, we were running the online communities at that point for um, eBay, HBO, any history channel, biography channel, and a lot of other well-known companies. So I was doing just my own travel, which was, I think, four weeks a year of vacation. Um, and that was actually part of the problem with the show is originally it was going to be my travel stories. And I was doing 48 shows a year and accumulating four weeks of travel a year. And the math really just didn't work out that well. So it turned into a, an interview show fairly quickly because otherwise I just wouldn't be doing it anymore. It just wouldn't, wouldn't have worked out. And then when you, I mean, you've done 500 plus episodes of Amateur mm -hmm. Traveler now. I mean, as we look at this, you just produced 501 and I'm sure by the time the show actually produces, it's, it's going to be more than that. But how how do you go about finding the guests and keeping the content fresh? I mean, it, it, it's, it's got to be an immersive back catalog. It's kind of intimidating for new listeners coming in. <laughs> well, part of the thing is we are, we get a, quite a lot of listens to the back catalog because each show focuses on a different destination. While we talk a lot about how to, we really focus on, you know, why you should go to this destination versus that destination. Everything from Domestic travel, you know, what you should put on your Chicago dog when you go to the Windy City to going to Tonga and swimming with whales. Oh, so you mean making a show focused on one subject? That's what a great idea. Yeah, yeah. We should think about that. Let's write that one down. And so basically, we're the hardest thing right now is not going out and looking for guests because I get people who pitch me guests, uh, pitch me shows all the time. But the problem is trying to find, you know, I have people, for instance, who I've never had on the show who I'd love to. But they haven't been any place we haven't talked about or talked about enough times or haven't talked about recently. We will we'll redo shows periodically. You know, we had done a show on New Orleans and redid one recently because the last time we had talked about it was before Katrina. Right. You know, once you've been doing the show for 10 years, it is time to go back and refresh your show on, you know, New York City or Las Vegas, especially some of those places that change very rapidly. So what's a good way if, if someone is, you know, interested in getting started or, or learning about it for them to dive into your show? Is it just, you know, getting started with a destination and maybe hitting spot topics there? Or? Yeah, one of two ways. The, usually the way that people get started with us is they either go into iTunes and they say, I'm, I'm looking for travel to and then fill in that destination. And they'll usually stumble across us if they search for, you know, Spain travel or something like that or Vietnam travel or whatever it is. And so we have people who start with whatever their next trip is, or if you don't have that in mind, then just starting with the latest episodes or just looking on the site and, you know, spot checking where you want to go. I'll get emails from people who say, you know, to go to Europe, our last trip, we downloaded 50 episodes of your show and started listening yeah. to them. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and then uh, you branched off and now you're doing this weekend travel. How are those shows a little different or and where do they overlap? So this week in travel, well, we stole first, for instance, uh, this week in tech and all of the other shows that stole that format, the basically we'll talk about news for the first 10, 15 minutes, and then we'll have a guest on in three 
uh, hosts of that show and do a roundtable discussion, and then we'll do our weekly picks. It's just that for us, that's all the tech, instead of the tech news and the tech picks, it's the travel news and the travel picks, and then the guest inside is a, a travel editor or travel writer or something like that, typically. So that is a more topical show, and it will change quite often. So we, we did a show recently on around-the-world travel. We've done one on volunteer travel or whatever, depending on which guest we bring in and what their expertise is. So, Chris, how often do you have a guest on that talks about some place you haven't been and it results in you going <laughs> yourself? Uh, how often do we have someone on that I haven't been is most of the time, probably at this point. I've been to 49 countries, which seems a lot to some of my friends, but I've had people on the, multiple people on the show who've been to every country. Yeah. Uh, so to me, wow. it doesn't seem like as many anymore as it used to. And so there's a lot of places that I haven't been yet. Or that I have been to the country, but I haven't been to that city or I haven't yeah, been yeah, to Yeah, but I area. want to know the ones that have inspired you so much you actually went and bought a ticket. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. No, yeah. there have definitely been those. Uh, the first one I think of is we did a show, and it was years ago, with someone who wrote the, one of the guidebooks for the Yucatan. Yeah. And she talked about you know getting outside of Cancun. Cancun's a great place to fly into, but we don't talk so much about going to a resort especially a resort where you could have not left the U S and you just sit there and, you know, get drinks. That's fine. If you want to do that for your vacation, that's just not what we talk about. Um, so we talked about going up to the Ruta Puk, which is outside of Merida in the Yucatan and going to see these lesser known, you could, these lesser known Mayan ruins or going and swimming in a cenote or going to places like Koba which is a Mayan ruin where you can still climb the pyramids. And, and at one point, basically when I heard that show, I had to, I had to do that trip, but we did it probably about three years later. And I took my family and we just had an amazing time, although they did not go to me with Koba. So it did mean that at one point I was standing on top of a Mayan pyramid in the middle of the jungle all by myself. So that really lived up to what we had talked about on the show. But quite often, if I'm going to go someplace, I'll bring a guest on because I want to hear about it before I go. So I've done that yeah. with Mexico city or Oaxaca or places like that as well. That makes sense. Now we were talking before the show about uh, your, you're kind of eclectic in collecting jobs now. Um, <laughs> and you know, most podcasters obviously have other, other careers, but, but you're right, kind of an overachiever. Right. You, you've got basically four jobs that you've got going on now. How, how did that happen? And then how do you have time to, to do all this travel stuff on top of it. Well, it's because of the travel stuff that I have four jobs. So I don't have any full-time jobs. So what happened is about two and a half years ago, uh, the work that I was doing with Amateur Traveler also led to being involved with a um, travel uh, conference, the TBEX conference, which is run by uh, Rick Calvert, who I think you know, who, who runs or used to run the NMX or the Blog World conference. Um, we're not sure quite what's going on there. Rick tells me it's not dead, but it sure looks dead. Mm. But uh, he's been very heavily involved in more so now in the TBEX conference, which, which he runs three times a year uh, that focus on travel as a space and travel bloggers. And so I got heavily involved in those shows and in those conferences. And we started using some software that I wrote called Blogger Bridge to um, facilitate some of the speed networking at that conference. And I originally wrote that software so that travel bloggers like me, travel podcasters like me, could connect with companies who were looking for working with influencers. 
And so at some point we had enough success and enough people who were interested that I wanted to quit my full-time job and work half time on getting that software further along, but I still needed to support myself. And so I basically started doing half time uh, software contracting because uh, software is my is my business. That's what I've been doing for for many years, uh, for a number of years now, especially web based uh, development. And so right now I'm doing two different contracts, one with a really small startup here in Silicon Valley and one with uh, TripAdvisor, who I used to work for them as well. And so, but the reason why I, one of the reasons I went from full time is because I do a show that gets, you know, a million plus downloads a year in the travel space, people will invite me places. And I used to have to say no more often than I liked. And so, you know, I can't make a living off my podcast. It couldn't pay the mortgage, especially here in Silicon Valley. And I don't really want to move to, well, my wife doesn't really want to move to uh, some rural place in Thailand where we could afford to live on what I make on Amateur Traveler. <laughs> so I make my living as a software programmer uh, and as an entrepreneur because I make some some money from BloggerBridge as well. And then it gives me time to basically say, oh, by the way, I just got offered a trip to Jordan by the Tourism Board of Jordan or by, you know, to go to Carnival in Dusseldorf or whatever the the particular trips are. And my wife gets enough vacation that last year she was able to to join me with a number of those trips as well. So so that's kind of the perks of being a travel podcaster. Well, you don't get as go. much gear as being a Mac podcaster, but you also, <laughs> you know, you're encouraging people to spend their money on travel instead of spending their money on cool gear. I, the, um, I just want to say David and I are available to travel to exotic places and talk about fancy Mac things, you know, if well, it you know, comes up. That has ones. happened with some of the Mac uh, podcasters, especially with uh, our friend um, Don from uh, from Liverpool. Uh, Don yeah. just because he's got that accent. He He's just got it made wherever he goes, you know. So he has taken his audience and put them on. And basically met with them with some of the Mac cruises that Insight Cruises does that are basically conferences at sea. And so he has actually turned his Mac podcasting into, you know, free travel with the people from who listen to a show. Just well, an that, idea. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I, I think a lot of our listeners, I'm not sure how many of them would get on a boat with me. I think they'd be afraid. I'd actually be afraid I, that Katie would throw me over at some point. I actually have I have done one of the Mac cruises not with uh, not with him, but with the uh, oh David Pogue was on that one yeah, as well sure. as uh, some. Leo of the does other a people. lot of them, I think. Yeah, he wasn't on that one, but it was also a Shakespeare at Sea cruise with the oh, Oregon boy. Shakespeare Festival, and because we had paid for one, we were allowed to go to the other. And so we were doing a cruise to the Panama Canal, but basically at sea, especially the at sea days, we were taking college level courses with all sorts of nerdy, geeky stuff that was just so, so much fun. Katie, yeah, I don't I can, know if I just had this vision, Katie, of you screaming at me in Klingon as I fl- I'm flung <laughs> over the stern. Um, you know, it's funny. I had I had a you um, haven't experienced Shakespeare until you've read it in the original Klingon, David. There you I, go. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. <laughs> I was uh, I was uh, with, out with my 19 year old daughter the other day and I was telling her the funny thing about when I grew up and travel. And I said, you know, when I was a kid and you wanted to go somewhere, you went to a travel agent. You didn't go buy a plane ticket. If you wanted a plane ticket or a train ticket or whatever, you, you had to go to a travel agent and they were everywhere. Every little strip mall had a travel agent in it. And all these people made a living. Um, 
you know, being travel agents, whereas today so much of this stuff is handled online. And I want to talk about um, and even though we know that and everybody listening knows that they can go to certain websites to buy a plane ticket. I think there's a lot of room in there to have a better experience as a consumer, maybe save some money or even just have a better experience that most of us are clueless about. And I have a feeling that Chris can give us a lot of information about that. So we're going to talk about that next. But first, I want to um, take a moment to talk about a sponsor. And this is a new sponsor of the show. I'm very excited to talk about this. It's called the Ministry of Supply, which is to begin with just an awesome name. And what does the Ministry of Supply do? Well, they make smart clothing. That's right. I said smart clothing. You know, everyday clothing should be smarter by now. Um, it should be designed for the needs of a body in motion, not a static mannequin. And because I wear a lot of dress shirts, you know, I have a day job, still have to do that stuff. And for years, I've been buying fancy pants dress shirts and I get them. They're uncomfortable. They're stiff. They don't move with me. I sweat in them on hot days in Southern California. And I have this massive dry cleaning bill every month because I have to take everything in to get dry cleaned every time I go. And when I heard Ministry of Supply was coming on the show and they made dress shirts, I said, well, let me try one of these things. And let me tell you, I am in love. It's just the greatest dress shirt. Um, uh, So what they did was they combined science with clothing and it really works. And that's the vision of Ministry Supply Performance Professional Menswear Company. It launched out of MIT about four years ago. They make polished business clothes that are engineered by MIT trained engineers to provide the technical benefits like body temperature regulation to keep you from getting too hot or too cold, sweat wicking fibers to keep you dry and stretchable fabric to actually allow you to move freely. I didn't think this was even possible with a dress shirt, but it is. And now that I've got one, I know I'm going to be adding more. Uh, Ministry of Supplies most tech forward dress shirt is the Apollo. That's one I got. And it's made with moisture wicking fibers that have temperature regulating phase change material, which sounds like something out of Star Trek, but it's actually from NASA. NASA developed the stuff to keep astronauts cool in space. And yeah, now that's in my dress shirt. So it also features light knit construction for breathability and four way stretch for mobility. Um, they uh, commissioned a research study on this at the University of Minho in Portugal, and they found it was 15 times more breathable than 100% cotton dress shirts, which I'd been using for 20 years. Um, all their clothes are easy to maintain and wrinkle resistant. And this is the part I didn't believe. And they said, you can just wash and dry at home and you don't need to iron it. And I said, that that's nonsense. I always have to send these things out for dry cleaning or I look like I rolled out of bed when I go into court. So I got my, uh, my my dress shirt. I wore it around. I had a, a quarter pants, came back, washed it at home, took it out, hung it on the hanger. And you know what? It looks great. I don't have to get any dry cleaning done. I'm so happy. Anyway, so that's that's what you like. They've got some great designs. You go over to their website, the Ministry of Design. Um, they feel great to wear. Uh, it's just really nice bringing kind of technology into your dress clothing. So if you find yourself wearing a dress shirt, guys, they have short sleeve, long sleeve. They have a polo. Um, and you can get money off through the Mac Power users. That's right. You get 15% off your first purchase if you show for the Mac Power users by using the code MPU. And that's over at ministryofsupply.com. Um, also, they have stores. So if you go into one of their retail outlets, and I love this, you can go in the retail outlet and say, Mac Power users sent me. Just say that. And they'll give you 15% off in the store. I don't think we've ever done that before, Katie, right? We've never sent buddy in a store to get a discount. If you show up with a bat lift, they'll give you even more off. Yeah. Well, you know, or, or you'll get, you'll get a quick trip to, <laughs> the, get to, the, to the jail. Yeah. But that's okay. 
Uh, Katie will come t- t- take care of you. She'll get you out of it. No, not a suggestion. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I boy, I you know, it's great when we get new sponsors and um, and especially when they make a product as amazing as this. I, I really like it. Like I said, I'm throwing out all my old shirts. I'm, I'm just going to start replacing them with all this Ministry of Supply stuff. I got the blue one, by the way, if you want to get that. I got the Oxford blue, but they they have many colors. Great product. And uh, go check it out. Ministry of Supply dot com. Uh, get that discount code 15 percent MPU. So, Chris, as as David alluded to earlier, it it used to be just a couple of years ago, maybe more than a couple, everybody had to, you had to go to a travel agent if you wanted to do any kind of significant travel, especially if you were going out of the country. I mean, if you were getting on a plane somewhere, you pretty much had to coordinate that through a a travel agent. But, you know, these days we have the glorious internet and I can just type a few buttons and hop myself on a plane to, to go anywhere in the world. I remember probably about 15 years ago, my mom and I did a a big European trip where we did one of these, you know, bus trips all around Europe. And and it was, we booked it through a travel agent and wasn't necessarily the best experience. And then just about 10 years later, my mom and my brother did a similar trip and booked it all themselves and and had a grand old time, partially because they kind of learned from our experience. So uh, what is the thing to do now? I mean, can you give us some tips on, you know, booking and and finding deals and where do you start? Well, I think even the the question before that is, I think a lot of people think that they don't need any help with this because now it's on the Internet and you just go search on the Internet and whatever website comes up with the cheapest or the fastest or the first in the Google search is the way to go. Is that a correct assumption? Uh, No. Okay. (laughs) One of the interesting things that you mentioned travel agents and travel agent, you know, that is an industry that was very much decimated by the ability to book online travel, it went, you know, went dramatically down when things like Expedia and Travelocity and Orbitz, kind of the first three came out. And then it has actually been on the rise since then, because, you know, when it was just, there's one of three places to go, it all was relatively simple. And is now it's, you know, 30, I think, I don't remember how many different places I have a a website on my a page on my website, for instance, that says 25 different ways you can book accommodations. And I think that's actually now 25 plus because I think it's, you know, 30 or something like that. And so what we've seen is that some people have actually gone back to travel agents because the choice, there's just too, too much choice. So the couple things to know, first of all, is that, yeah, not everybody is equal. There are also different types of booking engines, and I'm going to throw out some terminology, and I apologize for it, but it, it's going to make you, we, this is the power users podcast here. So yeah, yeah. one of the things to be aware of is there are online travel agents like Expedia, for instance, which in the U.S. is the largest one in the world. It's uh, bookings.com, for instance, is larger. And then there are also meta search engines. And I'm a big fan of meta search engines like Kayak, for instance, that are searching multiple different providers. And so you're doing one search and it's providing different responses of, you know, we looked at your flight on Kayak. We looked, sorry, we looked at your flight on Expedia. We looked at it at the, the, you know, American Airlines site. We also looked at Travelocity, although Travelocity now is really just Expedia. Uh, that they kind of went away, you know, and we also looked at Priceline and, and then they basically lumped that together into one set of results that you can search through. 
Um, so Kayak is a good one. There are a number of them right now. I tend to use the TripAdvisor flights, which fewer people know about, largely because I'm more familiar with it because it used to be in charge of it. So, but it you know has some nice options like the ability to say, and I'm taking a bag because if you forget about the bag fees, it's easy to not realize that that ticket is only cheaper because you didn't know about the bag fees. Um, because most airlines these days, unless you're using the you know United credit card when you're booking your United flight or something like that so to get around those bag fees, you have to keep those in mind, especially with some of the real deep discount airlines in Europe. That would be Ryanair in the US. That would be Spirit Air, for instance, that have really cheap ticket prices and then a lot of things that get added on like, oh, you wanted to print out a boarding pass at the gate. Oh, sorry, we charge for that. So I'm sorry, you wanted a seatbelt. Oh, you belt? wanted a chair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. seatbelts are extra. Yeah, they haven't quite gotten to that point yet, but uh, they actually Spirit nu- uh, numerous times has talked about we're looking at having people stand up, uh, basically what? having seats that are reclined, but you'd basically be standing. I I don't know if they do it just to get press, just like Ryanair periodically floats. You know, we're thinking about getting away, doing away with the restroom, <laughs> so. Uh, those are definitely you have to think you have to think about the total cost. You know, now that I think about it, some of the flights I've been on, it might have been more comfortable to stand. Well, part of the idea is that if you were standing up, they could basically scoot the seat even closer in front of you, the one in front of you, even closer further back uh, if you didn't have to bend your legs. Uh, so that one of the reasons they look at that is they could get more people on a plane. Mm. So, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Wow. I get some miserable sometimes on planes. Last last (laughs) flight I got on, I was thinking, I'll get some work done. And as soon as the plane takes off, the person in front of me just like cranks the seat all the way back. Is there a rule about that, Chris? Can I do something about that? Uh, No. When you start kicking them. The the, the rules are that basically the, the rules for the airlines are if they don't want you to be able to recline your seat, they can make it so they don't recline. And few airlines do. And so basically it is just... You know, uh, a shared space that we all have to live with each other. And the only thing that we recommend is that you go back slowly (laughs) if you (laughs) and uh, I know Johnny Jett, who writes a popular travel newsletter, he carries uh, go go Wi-Fi cards and basically bribes the people in front of him that I will give you free Internet if you will not recline. Smart. Smart. uh, No, no particular rules on that. So this lady, she, she cranks it all the way back. Because yep. nobody cares about this, so I'll just talk about it, right, Katie? Go for it. Um, and then, like, five minutes later, I look up there, and she's, like, leaning forward in her seat, reading a book. <laughs> I said, excuse me, if you're not going to go to sleep, would you mind putting your seat forward? And I looked like I, murder- I looked like a murderer in her eyes. I don't know what she, she was so mad at me. But then I got some work done, so it all worked out. There, there are devices you can put on the seat that prevent them from reclining. Yes, uh, they are not allowed. <laughs> I, I know that can get you in trouble. And, yeah, and on knee, an airplane fender is, is one that I will not recommend to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, they, so they have like, it's a plastic or metal clip mm-hmm. that goes on. And if they go to go back, they, their seat doesn't go back and they probably blame the airline and you get away with it. But I think that the stewardesses are, or steward, what's the proper flight attendant? Yeah. Flight attendants. Well, might notice that. And you know, they may put you in the pokey when you land. Right. Or something. Yeah. It's definitely not allowed. Okay. So, so, but let's say you want to travel. Let's talk, let's take it in pieces. Let's say you do want to book a flight. Um, where should people be going in 2016 to do that? 
So again, I would recommend one of the meta search engines, Kayak, uh, TripAdvisor Flights. If you're going to Europe, some of the other ones like uh, Mamundo um, is a good one. Skyscanner. Uh, the the tr- Google Flights does that as well. I haven't used them as much, uh, but they bought a good technology engine when they bought ITA. Uh, so they'll do some of that as well. But that will search basically multiple places at the same time, and it'll save you some time. There are also some flight deal sites that are worth knowing about. Probably uh, one of the best ones that I know is exitfares.com. And exitfares.com is great if you don't know where you want to go, but you want to know what's on sale now. Um, And the other place that's good for that is uh, if you go to kayak.com slash explore, uh, that gives you a map basically from you you say what your home airport is and you find out in a given month kind of where can I get for less than a thousand dollars, for instance. Oh, hey, you know, I didn't know that I could go to this part of South America for that or I didn't know that that part of Europe would be on sale. Now, it's going to find the cheapest flight and the cheapest flight is not necessarily going to be the flight you really want because that's going to be the red eye. That's going to be the the inconvenient flight. And that's always yeah. going to be the case. Now, is it worth it at all if you're not a very frequent traveler to be loyal to any particular airline? I mean, like I'm someone who probably Mm. travels two, maybe three times a year. I'm never enough to get platinum status or anything like that on on one of these these airlines. But, you know, I for whatever reason, I tend to fly Delta. You know, Delta flies out of my my hometown. And Mm -hmm. I I just I always fly Delta. And I feel like, you know, if I keep flying Delta, that that may come back and give me something one day. (laughs) Or am I just dreaming? Well, uh, of the major carriers in the U.S., Delta is has the reputation of being the hardest one to book your frequent flyer to use your frequent flyer miles on. Oh, so no, <laughs> just just so you know. Um, so yes and no. There's there's mixed there's mixed thoughts on that. For instance, I know that when I was working for TripAdvisor Flights, my boss was somebody who is definitely a, a flight wonk. He was somebody who who really, really knows airplanes and really, really knows flights. Like he would walk up to me and see my my uh, boarding pass sitting on my desk for the flight I was going to take the next day. And he would say, why are you in row 23 on that flight? That doesn't have a window. I'm thinking, so you looked at the flight, you figured out what equipment was, and you knew the seat map of that flight enough to know that it doesn't have a window. That's scary. So he would definitely say, yes, absolutely. If you're going to fly a lot then you should definitely concentrate your flights onto one carrier and earn, you know, earn your mileage on that carrier. Um, And there's, so definitely there is a, there's a school of thought that is that now I get a lot of flights that are purchased for me, so I don't have choices. So I flew 138,000 miles last year and don't have status on anybody. So, I don't do that, but what I do is I use a uh, Sapphire card from Chase, and the Sapphire card lets me use all the miles that I'm spending towards flights, but it doesn't doesn't narrow me down to one airline. So I can use them on Southwest, but I can also use them on United, and I can also use them on British Airways. Nice. And in in my experience, it's actually relative. It actually works. Uh, I say that with some surprise because I didn't expect that to actually, you know, I expected that to be problematic. Now, if you're going to book with miles, you want to do it ahead of time. You want to do it six months ahead of time at least, or you will have less options. 
um, you know, maybe even a year ahead of time, because basically miles, they will use up the amount of plane that they dedicate to flying with miles. Or you can also have some in a bank for last minute flights. And so I've, for instance, flew to my grandfather's funeral with miles because it was going to be just prohibitively expensive to buy a ticket in, you know, less than seven days or less than 14 days. And that's when that's basically when business travelers are going and what keeps planes flying basically is that these how much business travelers have to pay for the privilege of booking a last minute flight or the privilege of booking a flight that is um, refundable as well. Uh, basically, you pay less for a flight if you book it more than 14 days ahead of time. Typically, according to studies, you know, and this is going to depend on the route, it's going to depend on the carrier, but overall, the average is uh, about six weeks ahead of time is the is the sweet spot for when to book. Because if you're booking too far ahead, if you book a year ahead for your daughter's wedding, which I've done, then one, that flight will change because they're going to change their schedule sometime in that year. And two, they know that you want to do that and therefore they can charge a little more. So they will charge yeah. more if you book way ahead of time and they'll charge more if you book at the last minute. And six weeks out is, in general, you know, averaged over thousands and thousands of flights, uh, the best time to book. Sometimes when I go to do this, because, you know, my whole life is around how do I get myself to Hawaii again, you know, in the next two years. <laughs> right, right. And sometimes you'll go research it on the Internet because, you know, the Internet and there'll be articles say, oh, you should always do it on a Tuesday or you know, they actually have certain days or the first day of the month. Does any of that stuff uh, make sense or is it all? It's it's debatable. Uh, there definitely have been some studies that that say, yes, uh, the thing you need to know about flights is they change pretty constantly, much more so than hotel rooms. Even uh, they they literally can be changing hourly and they are very, very good at the airlines in terms of trying to maximize their revenue per plane. Uh, the U.S., what is the airline association of the U S claims? And there's some people dispute this, but they claim that the average, um, profit per ticket on a U.S. domestic flight is $5. Hmm. So that's one of the reasons why planes are getting more and more crowded. And one of the reasons why, you know, you just don't see the kind of empty planes you used to see before. And if they've gotten very good at maximizing things. And it's the other reason why baggage fees are not going away. Uh, basically, because that is the only reason why most of the airlines have been profitable recently is the baggage fees. Now, uh, on on the subject of baggage, because mm -hmm. let's just stay on the airplane for a little bit. The, uh, yes. the I'm anal retentive about trying to like bring nothing when I go on trips. It's it's not even <laughs> it's not even logical. But when I travel, I try to tra travel very light. I always usually just carry on, and my carry on is a um. Is a pelican, you know, which you can beat the heck out of it, and generally your stuff's meaning, okay. Meaning a pelican case rather than an actual bird. Um, well, it depends on my mood, but usually okay. it's the case. Usually the case. If I'm lonely, I might bring the pelican, the actual <laughs> pelican. So, so every time they see my pelican rolling up the um up to the you know the jetway, and almost every time they want to take it from me. Almost every time, yeah. Even though it, I haven't brought luggage. I don't have any extra bags. Um, so is there any tricks to that? Because I, I really don't like checking luggage because I have like a 50-50 shot of it going the opposite direction of the airplane every time. <laughs> I, I've lost it. Like, uh, it's almost, it's scary how high the percentage of number of times I get to a destination and my bag went somewhere else. Well, the first thing I would say is if they do check your bag, and it will happen sometimes that you are in boarding group four, and if you're in boarding group four, 
these days, your bag is going to be gate checked. It's which yeah. means you're going to you're going to give it in there, and typically, if it's a regular flight, you're going to pick it up at the baggage carousel like everybody else. Sometimes on the commuter flights, a gate check means you're going to pick it up on the runway or something like that on these little tiny planes, and that's actually not so bad because you. You gave it at the last minute and you pick it up, you know, at the first thing you get off yeah. the plane. Yeah. You see it going on and it's yeah, coming yeah. right back off. Of you. Um, although in, in general still, you know, the other thing we should say is the other advantage of carry on is that I have my stuff with me. And so for instance, I want to have anything of value in my, in my hands. I want to have it in my backpack or I want to do carry on. But the problem is if I have a carry on, I may, as you're talking about, not get a chance. It might not carry on. So uh, the one thing that we aware of is there are limits on the different airlines are different, but in general, for instance, it's uh, 14 inches wide, nine inches deep, 21 inches long will work on most domestic airline flights. And I say most in the sense that it wouldn't work, for instance, on Spirit Air and a couple of the the carriers that are um, the real discount area uh, carriers. But it will work on everybody else and not on the regional jets. The regional jets have smaller spaces. And not only is that small enough that will fit, it's small enough that they will have their sizing thing and it will fit inside there. And basically the deal is most airlines these days, if it fits in the sizer, they can't say you can't take it on. You know, it fits in the sizer. But look, they try. See. Boy, do they try. Well, that's what that's your response is. You know, it's it is regulation size C. It fits in the sizer. Well, um, I, I, I just look at them very seriously and I say, because it's a pelican, it looks like, you know, I've got a, a human heart inside of it. You know? <laughs> so I'll say there's some very delicate equipment in here and I cannot part with it contractually. <laughs> and and so often you put your serious face on, you got to have your game face on when you do that. And almost every time I'm like, oh, okay. And then they let me take it on. So then the next well, guy has to check. The the other thing though, that we're seeing is different airlines are have are different in terms of how they enforce the carry-on rules. And so, for instance, SFO, you can't get into security with a bag that will not fit in the sizer. And so I have bags that I know fit in the overhead bin because even though they say it, it can only be 9 inches deep, it turns out they can be like 13 inches deep and still fit in most planes. But they won't let you get that in at, at SFO. But when I'm flying back from Boston, for instance, I do that flight a lot, uh, they don't check. And so I could, the same bag that wouldn't be allowed on the plane in SFO would be allowed on in Boston. And that's just inconsistent. And that's the way it is. Okay. So takeaways for this segment is number one, you want to be booking your flight about six weeks in advance. Um, right. When you go online, you want to go to one of these online services that, that, that searches multiple airlines and travel agents. Uh, right. So you get prices from a lot of people. Um, the, uh, and baggage you want to try and keep within the the limits it gives you at least a fighting chance of still getting your carry on on the <laughs> right. plane anything else we missed on airplanes you know getting your airplane book? well the other thing before we transition to hotels for instance one of the things that's in that gap between the transition is for instance when you're trying to do your your trip to hawaii if you're looking for one of those trips that is an airplane you know set of flights and a hotel and we're staying at that hotel for the entire vacation Right. So it's a, a Hawaii trip. It can be that kind of trip yeah. or certain business trips can be that kind of trip. Then a package may be something that will be a value. And so you'll get that, for instance, when you, you when you try and book a ticket, they'll say, do you also want a hotel? And sometimes that deal of getting the hotel and the flight together can save you money. I've had 
tickets where, for instance, for the flight to Las Vegas, I think it was going to one of some conference there, it was probably NMX, that basically for the cost of the hotel, that I saved enough on the hotel to pay for the flight. And so if you're doing that kind of simple travel, you know, one ticket, one hotel, then a package can can often save a fair amount of money. Okay, and what's the what's the best way to pull that off? Because usually you're going to go buy your ticket and then it's going to give you the hotel offer. Is there like a place to go to get um, package deals? For package deals, I tend to look at some place like Expedia, one of the OTAs, one of the online travel agents. Uh, and, and Expedia is probably my go to for that from North America, uh, just because they're the, the largest travel company um, here. Uh, actually, largest travel company in the world by money spent, I think, still. Um, at least in the U.S. I'm not sure where the booking is, has uh, surpassed them in Europe. But but if you look at one of the OTAs that's doing both the flights and the hotels, that can be a good place for a package deal. And again, if you've got something simple, it doesn't work as well if you're going to do the the open jaw trip to Europe. You know, the trip where you fly into Paris and you fly out of Geneva and you're staying in three different hotels along the way. Is Priceline still a thing? I mean, is that something worth looking into? Oh, well, Priceline is still a thing, although uh, Priceline.com has changed a lot from what people know. So Priceline owns Bookings.com, which I said is one of the largest. They also own a couple other major brands. Basically, in the space right now, the two largest players in terms of, of travel bookings are Expedia and Priceline and all of their other brands. So Expedia also owns a Venere, which is big in Europe, and Hotels.com, and uh, Hotwire.com, and Priceline owns Booking.com, and a couple other ones that, that I forget. So so first of all, they're, they're still around and they're huge, but then they also, their site used to be, you always had to do the whole bidding thing, and they do that still. And there's some, if you want to do that whole bidding thing where you're basically saying, I'm willing to pay this, will, will that work? And it may or may not work. You have to have one have some time to be rejected so you can try out different things. And there's also a forum. Uh, I don't remember the URL off the top of my head, but if you look for a forum for how to bid on Priceline, that will give you some guidance that is basically crowdsourced wisdom in terms of what people have been paying for a hotel there already. And so that can be a great resource. If you do one of the bidding things on, uh, do want to do one of the bidding things on Priceline. Yeah. That's what Kate, Katie only books through Priceline because they've got a hundred percent more Kirk. Captain Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to book through hotels.com because every 10, for every 10 times I stay, I get a free night basically at the average rate of all of the other uh, nights. And I've so, heard that. And I want to talk about that, but let's take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor and get into these hotels. Cause I think that's another area where a lot of us have no clue. Yeah. I have lots of questions about hotels, but before we do, I want to talk to you a little bit about a new sponsor to Mac power users. This is our second new sponsor for this episode. Uh, so welcome to fresh books. Uh, fresh books is on a mission to help small business owners save time and avoid the stress that comes with running their businesses. And as you know, uh, David is a small business owner and kind of I'm doing that too now uh, is it all starts with invoicing because if you don't invoice, you don't get paid. And if you don't get paid, well, then your business is not going to be around that long. So fresh books has created a super intuitive tool that will help you make 
create and send invoices as simple as it comes. It takes just 30 seconds to create and send your invoice, and you can even add your company logos for that extra special touch so your invoices look professional. Um, And FreshBooks will give your clients a ton of ways to pay you because you know what? You always want to make it easy to get paid. They'll allow you to receive payments by credit card and integrate with services like PayPal. And that can improve how quickly you get paid because time is money. In fact, FreshBooks customers get paid on average about five days faster. So you can see whether or not a client has paid an invoice or even looked at an invoice. No more excuses. Huh, I didn't see that invoice. It got lost in the mail. Oh, really? No, I think you saw it on on February 3rd. Yeah. Uh, You can set up automatic late invoice reminders too, so you don't have to keep following up and bugging people. Um, And that's just invoicing. FreshBooks has so many other features to help you stay organized. You can easily keep track of your expenses, no more shoeboxes full of receipts. And if you're in the U.S., you can automatically import your bank transactions for easy reconciliation. Uh, They recently revamped their mobile app that will let you take photos of your receipts and FreshBooks organizes them for you later. They can even create expense reports for you and make claiming expenses at tax time a breeze. They have great reports that so you can easily see who owes you what, and they integrate with so many third parties, time tracking to help you create better invoices. They've got amazing support, and the support really is at the core of FreshBooks. They believe in it. There's no phone tree. You call, someone's going to pick up, and they're going to help you. Uh, getting started with FreshBooks is simple. Uh, you don't have to be a numbers person. They're offering a free 30-day trial to listeners of the show, no credit card required. So to claim your 30 days of free, unrestricted use, Go to freshbooks.com slash MPU and please enter MPU in the how you heard about us section so FreshBooks knows that you came from our show. Uh, So thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So Chris, we started talking a little bit about hotels in the in the last segment, and it seems like a good place to start. Is is booking a hotel similar to to booking a flight? I mean, with flights, you've got all these different services and aggregate them, but it seems like flight prices are fairly consistent across all these services. Right. Mm-hmm. But when I go to hotel sites, I, I mean, the prices are all, all over the place. <laughs> well, one thing to think about is. If you think about when was the last time you were on a flight that was less than 95% full? Yeah, never. Not in a long time. I mean, 1990-something. Right. So flights, basically, especially in the U.S., are mostly full these days. They have cut down on the number of flights so that the total number of seats is usually pretty darn full. That is not true with hotels, right? How many times do you think every hotel in your town is 95% full? Yeah, very rarely, only on special events, right? And so the deal is that means that any given night in any given city, well, not any given night, most nights in any given city, there are lots of hotel rooms that are going unused. And so there is a lot more flexibility in hotel pricing. And there are definitely people who talk about you should always call the hotel and get, you know, say I've got this price online and can you beat that and basically see if even the hotel will beat the online price or whatever and if if you don't happen to be as shy as i am <laughs> go for it you know all but there's definitely it's useful to understand the difference first of all that there just is more play in hotel room prices and roughly one of the reasons for instance hotels.com can do that that basically one in ten is that there's usually a way of saving about 10% off the rack rate, at least, of any given hotel if you're breathing. 
you know, if you're if you're trying your AAA discount or your discount site or whatever, that ten percent is pretty easy to save on any given hotel rooms. And then sometimes there are deep discounts, whether it be seasonal. You know, I've stayed in Tokyo in the winter and got fifty percent off hotel rooms because nobody goes to Tokyo in the winter. So obviously, the other thing to be aware of is that both for hotels and flights, that when you travel is is huge. That basically, if you travel in the peak season, whatever peak is for when you're going, you know, for a lot of places coming from North America, that's going to be summer, then you're going to pay less, or you pay more rather. And if you travel in the winter, for instance, if you travel in the off season, you're going to pay less. And if you travel in the shoulder season, sometimes you can pay less and still get as good or better experience than you can if you're traveling in the peak season. So, I mean, that's the first thing we have to be aware of is. And, you know, the reason for that is school schedules. And so if you've got kids in school, I apologize. It's just the way it is. Uh, the The deal is stacked against you. Um, you can sometimes have a much affo- more affordable trip over spring break than you can in the summer. Uh, and that's, you know. You know, one of the points you made that I, I have kind of done instinctively for years is when I book hotel rooms, I rarely do it online. Um like if I know like WWDC is getting ready to come up for the Apple community and there's a pretty good idea when it's going to happen. So I looked at the various hotels I may be interested in. I, I found the one I wanted and I just called them up. And in that case, the, the rate they quoted me on the phone was the same on the website. But so often I'll do that and find I do get a cheaper rate just by calling them. Is that unusual? Well, it's unusual to actually do that, but it's not unusual to hear that advice. Uh, It's just most of us don't read the the last thing we want to do. Even your recent show, as I heard it, was talking about email. The last thing I want to do even before that is actually pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Yeah. And so uh, (laughs) because people, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because of that, uh, (laughs) most people don't do that. But yeah, there are definitely there are definitely experts in the field who say you will save money if you do that. If you get the not the person at the desk but if you get the manager Uh, so if you get somebody who has authority and especially if you're calling last minute i mean that's the way things like hotels tonight work basically is hotels tonight or other things that are doing last minute travel are saying i've got a room sitting at my hotel and it's empty Uh, well one of the things you know what what is it worth to me to put somebody in the room and how much do i have to charge before it's more profitable than an empty room and the, and the other advantage, you know, the consumer advantage when booking hotel rooms is you can cancel that booking at pretty much any time up until the last minute. So there's nothing wrong with depending you don't have to wait to the magic six weeks. right? Yeah, depending yeah. on who you book through, it used to be, for instance, Priceline and Hotels.com and Hotwire and some of those that were doing deep discount. You were prepaying. And, you know, we've had those situations, for instance, where we prepaid a hotel room through I think it was actually through Hotels. And it was a travel lodge and it was a smoking room. And, and my wife just cannot. We just actually walked away from the room um, because they said, oh, yes, our default is smoking, uh, you know, which is just <laughs> yeah. crazy. Which is a trick. Yeah. Um, although these days I know Hotels.com, for instance, they've gone to you get your option. Do you want to prepay or often for the same rate? Do you want to pay at the hotel? And, you know, which gets back to usually then a 24 hour cancellation period. Um, one of the interesting things about that is because of that. Uh, TripAdvisor, three years ago, two years ago, um, launched a site called Tingo.com, T-I-N-G-O.com, which takes advantage of that is if you want a hotel room a year from now, 
obviously, if you go to the site right now and you say, I want to want that hotel room, you're going to get a bad rate because yeah. they know you want it. You're obviously there for something special. It's important to you. And so they'll charge you the, the, the rate they can, the rack rate probably. But what Tingle will do is they'll keep asking the hotel if the rate has gone down automatically for you. And if it has, they'll rebook it at the lower rate. And so Tingo, that's T-I-N-G-O. Yeah. If you wanted to book something for a graduation or for a wedding or something like that, that's six months to a year out. That's a great site for, I will book at this rate, but I will pay less. Oh, so you're kind of know that you've got it. And then, and I'm assuming you pay some kind of fee, some kind of, they, they take some kind of cut of it if you get a better deal or. Uh, they may take a cut of it, but basically you, you'll still save a lot of money. So it's, oh, it's still going to be a good option for you if you know that you need the hotel that far in advance. Yeah, because I've got three weddings this summer. Uh, uh, you know, you go. I've, I've got to have hotels for, but, you know, I'd certainly like to save a little money. So that's that's a great deal. Three? What a, Three, Katie? Three, three, three. So that's shower gifts. <laughs> uh, it's gifts. it's such an expensive summer. Bridesmaid you don't dresses. even want to know. You're yeah. gonna be so busy. <laughs> Too busy. Um, yeah. One of the questions I had is: I recently booked a, a hotel for through one of these um, aggregation sites, mm-hmm. and my experience was not great. I mean, the, the hotel I got put, you know, I kind of got put, the hotel was partially under construction. The hotel didn't seem that busy, but I got put in the wing that was under construction and, and the, you know, I, I felt like I kind of got put in the bad room. Um, and I, you know, did a little research. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. It was acceptable, but right. I, I really felt like that for a fairly nice hotel, I got put in, in one of the worst rooms. And well, well, that can happen. And Did I could ask for a better room. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I probably, probably, sh- and it was just one of those things that I got in and it was like, I was like, fine, I'm here, yep. you know, whatever. But one of the things that I, I read in researching this a little bit is that, you know, be- if you book through a hotels.com or an Expedia or one of these, mm-hmm. you know, the way that, you know, you're getting a discounted rate and then the, the site is getting a cut. And so, you know, the hotels are going to save their, their better rooms for kind of their full fare customers. Is there any truth to that or? Yes, not okay. across the board. It doesn't always happen, but but yes, we it has happened often enough that there is definitely truth to that. Yeah, the more money you save, the less valuable you are to them as a customer. And I, you know, in <laughs> retrospect, I probably shouldn't said, you know, do you have anything better? Something that I don't have to hike two and a half miles to get to my room from the parking lot, or yeah. Now the one thing that has offset that a bit, I noticed I don't see it as much as I used to, and I used to be, for instance, that if you booked through. Uh, for instance, when I worked at uh, TripAdvisor back in 2010 to 2012, most of that time we were part of Expedia and we had to book with Expedia sites. And so I would go to a Sheraton and they'd say, well, you can't get any Sheraton points because you book through Expedia. Next time, don't. I was like, no, you don't understand. I, I have to. That's that is the company policy. And that has changed somewhat for different chains. And I think one of the big reasons for that is is TripAdvisor is that, you know, if you give me a bad hotel room. I don't know that every other hotel room there isn't like it or I, you know, I'm just going to leave you a bad review, whether whether I leave it on the place that I book through or I leave it on TripAdvisor or whatever. And in the U.S., um, and I again, I do work for TripAdvisor, remember, but uh, the stats, the latest stats I heard is that 50 percent of travelers or over 50 percent will not book a hotel room without checking the reviews first. And so I think that has equalized that a little bit. Um, what they, it still means that they might have a better room <laughs> that they would give you if you were a Starwoods, you know, a gold member for sure. 
And you book something at the last minute because sure, shouldn't they? I mean, it's it's good business sense for them to do that, but they know that if they give you a bad room, they're going to hear about it. Okay, so, so I think so ba- I don't see as much as I used to. Now going back to the airplane question, I said, where do you book a flight? Where should people be going to book their rooms now? <laughs> so that's a little less definitive. As I mentioned, I use hotels dot com a lot. The other one that I like that I've just started to look at is a meta search engine for hotels. So again, that's going to be searching across different sites, and that's hotelscombined.com. And I just recently started looking at that, so I haven't got a lot of use out of it, but it does seem like a nice place to go to get to find that one deal that may be this time, you know, this week with bookings.com and next week with expedia.com or whatever. So that is a nice solution to save yourself a little time and still look at a number of different sites. But it it can depend a a little bit. For instance, we said on, you know, the reason why I always go back to hotels is I'm accumulating free nights. Or the reason why I use Tingo is I've got this particular need of I want something a month or a year out rather or something like that. And there are, you know, if I want a hostel, I'm going to book something someplace else. If I want you know, obviously Airbnb and some of those other places to stay or an apartment stay, then then you might go to a different solution. And that's why yeah. I, I think I mentioned that I have a, a website that I checked. It has 31 different hotel booking sites. And, well, we're going to link or, that for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, but what, what about that when you want to go into one of these like Airbnb or one of these mm-hmm. um, other, you know, because it, it used to be, in, you know, another old timey day thing was you when you went out of town, you always stayed in a hotel. Right. I mean, sure. it was unimaginable that you would stay in somebody's extra room, some stranger's extra room. And now <laughs> it's it's it happens all the time. I actually haven't done it yet, but I'm going to on one of these trips. But um, um, what what? What's some good advice for people that are interested in doing those types of um, accommodations? Uh, When I should say, too, that I haven't done it yet either, but I am an Airbnb host. So as we're talking, I have uh, actually we have three different rooms of our house at this moment that are being rented out. Uh, One, two of them downstairs for about three months to uh, a young gal who's from China and her mom just before she goes into the U.S. Uh, Army Reserves. Um, and then another one to uh, another young man and his mother, also from China. And they are, or Taiwan, I think, actually. And he is moving out of the area, but his lease ran out in his apartment, so he needed some place to stay for like two weeks before he moved out of the area. So, um, so we've seen a lot of it from the other side, uh, but we haven't, we know we have friends, for instance, especially being a travel blogger, I know somebody who's done half of their nights last year were in Airbnb and the, the advantage of the hotel room versus the advantage of Airbnb is somewhat similar to the advantage of a hotel versus a hostel, um, or, or vice versa disadvantage. So in the sense that a hotel room is very predictable, right? Especially if you go to a chain. Right. If you see that, you know, I don't know who your favorite chain is, Marriott or Hilton or or Starwood or whatever. If you see that logo and you've stayed in them 10 times and you're going to you're about to stay in a Holiday Inn Express, you know what it's going to be like. It's very yeah. predictable. You you can walk in the hotel room. You can find your way around any of the hotel rooms. They're they're all the same. And and that's good. And you're also nobody's going to bother you. 
right? It's it's a very anonymous process, and even more so in the future when they start talking about using your iPhone as your key to your room, where you don't even go to the the front desk. It's a very anonymous process, and for some of us, that actually sounds pretty darn good. Yeah. Right? I go there, I have my stuff. As long as the internet works, which probably won't, uh, you know, it's going to be a very predictable experience. But it's not going to connect me very well to the destination. And that's where hostels, for instance, at the low-end price range, and I think Airbnb at a little more expensive than that, are basically one of their advantages is that you are connecting with someone. It's it's also the disadvantage. It really just depends on what you're looking for. But basically, you're going to find somebody who knows the, knows the neighborhood, knows what you should do, what you shouldn't do. It's like our first time we went to London, we did an apartment stay. And the basically, the people who own the apartment had us over for tea and told us about things that were going on that week that we wouldn't have known about. And that's one of the reasons why those more communal stays have been popular isn't just price, but it's also that element. Now, sometimes yeah, you just rent the whole place for Airbnb, and then it's somewhere in between, right? You you might have a sheet of instructions that say, here's a local store and here's some places to see, but you're not actually interacting with somebody. So so apartment stays can vary that way as well. I, I actually have a lot more questions about Airbnb and, and how this works, because the only way that I've done it previously is where you kind of rent the whole place out. And that's worked right, right. well. Um, but maybe, because I think that could kind of take us off on a tangent for a while. Uh, before we do there, we, we may want to take a quick break um, and and talk about our, our next sponsor, Text Expander. Yeah, Text Expander, the very first sponsor of the Mac Power users. And they're still with us. Isn't that great, Katie? Love it, yeah. Love yeah, so the... Um, so Text Expander is an application that just saves you a ton of time. I just saw somebody tweeted out the other day that they had been listening to me talk about this for years. They finally got it and now they now they really get it, you know. Um you can type in just a few letters or phrases on your your Mac and suddenly it's going to blow up into all this great text. Uh but and there's a lot of apps that do that, but Text Expander goes to the next level. They you know the developers are always trying to make it better. And one of the things they do is they add scripting and they add hard key presses. Just as an example, I have, um, you know, I use this service to answer phones for me. And before I start the podcast, I always have to send them a note to say, I'm going to be, you know, unavailable for two hours. So please hold my calls. And I, I've done that, you know, 50 times over the last you know year. And I thought, well, wait, wait, why am I doing this every time manually? So I created a text expander snippet that has the recipient's name, then it hits the tab key the number of times to the subject line. It says unavailable for two hours and it hits the, um, um, then hits the tab key again, which jumps to the body and says, Hey, I'm going to be busy for two hours. Please hold all calls. XOXO David. And so it does all of that. And all I have to do is type in, in a podcast and it does all of that for me in an email. So I hit in a podcast hit return and it's gone and an email is written and sent off for me. And this is just an example of one of the many things you can do with text expander. We hear the obvious things. People talk about things like difficult addresses or cell phones. We also have listeners that are doing entire sales proposals with text expander. I write contract language for legal contracts with text expander. And because it has those fill in snippets, it can grab text from your clipboard or it can use uh, scripts to create special things. It's just amazing what it can do over the years. They've developed it. So it's not only on your Mac, but it's also on iOS and it has the ability to sync your snippets between the two devices. So when you create a really cool snippet on your Mac, 
hey, what? Guess what? You can use it on your iOS device as well. They even have a keyboard on the iOS version that you can access and use to type in on any application, you know, like Apple Mail. They're never going to support Text Expander because it's Apple. But if you use the Text Expander snippet, um, this, I'm sorry, the Text Expander keyboard, you're going to be able to use those snippets right in your Apple Mail. It's just one of those applications that everybody should use. If you've been listening to us talk about it and you haven't yet, I encourage you to go check it out. Uh, I've done screencasts for them, so that we'll walk you through how to do it. Uh, there's easy uh, snippets, and you can get more complex as you get better at it. But the fact is, anybody listening to this show can make very complex snippets, and I guarantee it will save you time. In fact, it even tracks the amount of time you save, which is kind of fun. As you get in there, you can see how much time you save. I've saved weeks of my life because of this application and uh, you should too. So head over to smilesoftware.com and check out text expander. Uh, we love the people behind it and we love the way the application works. Um, and let us know when you get into using text expander, let us know what snippets work best for you as well. Uh, thanks text expander for supporting the show. And I'll have to say, I've only saved a week and a half of my life with text expander. Cause I only went over to text expander from one of their, competitors when they came out with the ios keyboards so oh really so you, <laughs> but, but it's crazy right what, what do you just real quick we don't want to make it forever but what, what's what your favorite snippet so for instance you know juggling three jobs when somebody writes me and says i want to do a a guest post on your show that's a you know that's a macro or whenever i do a new episode of a different show the formatting the show notes starts with a yeah. macro or obviously the simple ones like my email or you know, website address, or even just the about me, you know, dis describe this podcast or something like that is in a snippet yeah. because I end up sending those again and again. Sure. You guest on a show and they like, well, give us your bio and you just type right, my right. bio and then boop, it's there. That's also love the sound <laughs> it makes. Okay. All right. So we were talking a little bit about Airbnb and I mean, we could go into a whole nother topic about right. the, mm -hmm. how, how things are, you know, the kind of the share, the sharing economy and, and how that has taken off. But I'm really curious about vacation rental by owner, I think is another one that has mm -hmm. kind of, VRBO. Popped, yeah, VRBO has popped up, but you mentioned that you're an that's Airbnb. A, that's an older one. That's been yeah. around for a while, quite a while. Yeah. But, you know, I think in many ways it's kind of benefited from Airbnb because people have, although mm -hmm. Airbnb may have gotten a lot of publicity, people are now realizing, oh, yeah, this is a thing. Um, right, right. But you mentioned that you're hosting, I think, I don't remember if you said two or three different families right <laughs> right. right now. That's that's kind of a lot. I mean, so in, in general, you know, short version for people who may not know how Airbnb works. I mean, how do you know, for lack of a better word, that these people aren't serial killers and going to rob you blind and then kill you? And that they, these people by exchange know that you're probably not going to do the same. I mean, there's got to be some kind of check and balance built into this service. Right. Well, all I can say is they haven't been serial killers so far. Okay. Um, but basically when you are hosting, and basically what happened with us is we're empty nesters. You know, we have a five-bedroom home in Silicon Valley, which means that we're paying a mortgage on a five-bedroom home, but we don't use all of them anymore. And so when we went to look at doing this, we actually talked to some of my travel blogger friends who were staying in Airbnbs for, you know, basically half a year at a time and said, how does this work? And the the deal is that you you can set up your Airbnb, for instance, if you weren't going to be there you can set it up to do instant booking, just like a hotel does, where someone could go online, they could book, and they could drive right over and, and stay in your house. You'd have to have a, a key box or something like that to get them in. We don't do that. 
we basically, you have to basically say, I'm interested. I see that you're available for these nights, you know, and this is why I'm coming to your area. And this is why I'm looking for a room. And mostly we basically look at that and say, that seems like a fine person to come. And occasionally we've said, I don't know, that's just weird. You know, the, I don't like the way they approached us in email. It just didn't seem like it's worth our trouble. We'll just say no. Um, but you also have the reviews. They have stayed in, you know, that's the way the sharing economy works too, right? With the Uber driver you get is, you know, basically if an Uber driver gets so many negative reviews, they can't drive. They get bumped out of the app. And the same thing goes on with Airbnb. And then they also have insurance, which is not going to help us if they're a serial killer, but will help us if they trash the place. Um, and then obviously we're yeah, it may staying. help your kids if they're a serial killer. No, oh, yeah, it might. It might. I don't, know, I don't know what level of insurance they have there. But uh, basically, it's the reviews that are the way the sharing economy works in general. So and on the other hand, what we've really found is we've had just a wonderful I, we actually haven't had anyone that has stayed with us that we have regretted um, at all. And then many of the people that have stayed with us have just been a wonderful experience. My wife now is trying to learn uh, Chinese because we had a Chinese exchange student live with us. And she's now up at Berkeley and will be graduating in May and her parents are going to come back and we're thinking, well, you know, she really wants to be able to have more of a conversation with them this time than she could when they came the last time. And our current guests uh, who are fluent in Chinese are basically been helping her learn her Chinese. And I go down in the mornings and say, uh, and it's just it's fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And as people who like travel and like interacting with other cultures it's a way to travel without leaving the house yeah I, I attended a conference last year where they had the official hotel for the conference which i booked a room at and the um and when i got there i found a, almost everybody there was at airbnb except me and yeah. paying like one third of the price <laughs> and they were all having a great time together i felt like such a chump um so i, I guess this is a thing you know at this point hey um what about when so you've traveled so much and talked to so many travelers you know, this is a technology podcast. What types of technology fail or, you know, what are the big problems that people are hitting with their travel and, and what can we be doing to prevent that? Well, if, if we have Apple developers uh, listening to your show, one of the big things I run into is that a lot of the times when people develop software, and I, I run into this in different places in the OS, they're not thinking about how this will work if I don't have a constantly on internet connection. Mm, yes. And, you know, when you're trying to use it on the plane and it just it's just used to, OK, first I'm going to go check this. And the number of times that the app really has to spend a lot of time timing out or or doesn't have the right amount of information. And, you know, that's the that's the first thing you run into with the technology is not enough of the developers are are made to work on either slow connections. Um, and, you know, if you've been in hotel rooms, you, you know what that could be like. Or just no connections. Um, and so, you know, I choose my technology like, you know, you were talking about mail on what was for me the last episode of the Mac Power users. And for me, I use an online mail or a, a mail client instead of webmail because I need to be able to use it when I'm disconnected. And yeah. so partially it's just choosing your technologies appropriately. But that would be helped if the developers would just think about that. You know, basically, occasionally, <laughs> I, I definitely, I mean, I, you know, as a developer, I I have uh, 
frustrated sometimes by, you know, you just know as a developer, they did not think about this. They were not aware that there are places in the world where that don't have fast internet. Well, I think right. Apple falls down on that sometimes as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. just with some of these huge downloads that they expect people to, oh, no problem. You can just go get your operating system through the Mac App Store. We're not going to give right, you a right. CD or a floppy or anything like that. There are many places in the United States that have bandwidth caps or uh, that, that don't have access to high-speed Internet or reliable high-speed Internet. Yeah. Uh, to well, me, another and- issue with travel is power. I, I was just at Disneyland yeah, yeah. Um, last week, and I went to the restroom. And there was a guy in there sitting on the sink on the counter (laughs) with his phone plugged into the, probably the one outlet he was able to find in Disneyland in this gross bathroom, right? You know, and he paid a hundred bucks or whatever to get in there for the day. And he's sitting there with his phone plugged in and it just seems to me so easy. And I think a lot of our listeners get this, but if you don't, you can get on Amazon for probably $20. You can get a portable battery that will recharge your phone a couple times. Right. And anytime you're going to a place like Disneyland or getting on an airplane, not to have that battery with you and a charging cable to me is just completely bananas. Well, and I use the Hutu device, uh, which I want to say I heard about from Mac power users, but it may have been yeah, we, someone we else. We talked about that here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which is both, you know, a battery, but right now, for instance, it's plugged in about 20 feet from me because I have one of the rooms in the house where I'm sleeping in because I'm I'm sick that doesn't get quite as good Wi-Fi and it can also act as a Wi-Fi bridge and can also act as a Wi-Fi router. And so when I put it in my bag, it basically serves multi-purpose. And usually these days with the iPad mini and the iPhone and the MacBook Air, I don't need power that much even for long flights. But it's nice to have it. You know, it's always nice to have that. And what I'm running into is more and more airports. Airports are getting better. Uh, Just in general, I think airports are getting better in the world. They're getting, there are more gates that have power plugs. There are, well, I don't know if Wi-Fi is getting any better, but it's, you know, it's not getting any worse. Um, And then there are better restaurants and things like that. But in general, the experience in airports, I think, is is getting better for the long-term traveler. And power is one of the places where I see that, not consistently, but as a trend. What it is depends the, a lot on which airline you fly. Yeah. What is the state now of, and it's not so much an issue when you're traveling domestically, but if you're traveling internationally, you know, the, the data issue. Um, I know yeah. some carriers are a little better about it than others, but you know, do you just call your carrier and get on an international plan or do you go pick up a SIM somewhere else? So what What is the best way now to do that? And I realize that's kind of a constantly changing question. but It, it is, and there are some things that are changing about it. For instance, the rules are changing now here, I think in the next year in Europe, uh, where they're going to have, I believe it's data roaming across all the countries in the EU. Um, so if you had one basically one plan, you know, they would solve that problem. Um, and you just have to solve it once rather than every country. I still, well, I still often, when I travel, I just put it in airplane mode, leave it in airplane mode and just connect in Wi-Fi when I'm at the hotel, uh, because the data is still an issue. Data is still expensive. If you get on your carrier's international roaming plan, unless it's T-Mobile, um, then it's not usually a good plan um, especially AT&T, which is what I'm on. It's still just too expensive. So unlocking your phone and buying a local SIM, I think is going to be the generally 
for most people, the best solution. Uh, but I would say that the T-Mobile is worth mentioning that people I know who are travel bloggers, a lot of them who are doing a lot of overseas travels have gone to T-Mobile. Uh, and basically because they have a real interesting plan that just lets you uh, get a lot of free data when you're traveling internationally. That's and that's really what they're trying to they're trying to be the, you know, yes, we're the fourth place carrier, but we do some interesting things. I, and I would add to that, if you have children, um, be very careful because like text plans is a way to just get cr- crushed, you know, uh, when you go travel. Yeah, if yeah. They, if they're texting their friends or friends are texting them. Uh, text can often with, be 50 cents a text. Exactly. And it, whether it's sent or received. So and with teenagers that, you know, that can add up pretty quickly. So one bit of advice I'd get is if, if you're leaving the country, call your carrier a week in advance and just say, hey, I got a, you know, 15 year old. We're about to go to a different country. <laughs> How, you know, what do I do not to get in trouble? That's what I did. And they said, no problem. Call us before you leave and we'll turn off texting on those phones. And they, they were, this was AT&T and this was several years ago and they were good for it. And, you know, we had all that stuff turned off and I didn't get a big surprise in the mail at the end of the month. So, so if you're going to be traveling with the family, uh, do a little research a little bit in advance. Don't wait till the last minute, I guess is my right, advice. Right. Call them up and, and you'll find out. Sometimes they have plans you can buy just for the month, but quite often they have the ability either online or through the telephone to, to turn off features that could cost you a lot of money. Well, and getting a MiFi device is also something that's I'm really looking at doing, you know, getting an unlocked MiFi device that I can just throw in a card because my phone is not yet unlocked because I keep upgrading. You know, it's one yeah. of those things that I really need to get out of the habit of buying a phone that is subsidized and just realize that it, I'm better off buying the phone up outright and then having it unlocked, um, which we may all be doing anyway. It sounds like they're kind of moving away from that anyway. But, yeah. you know, that would be better for me as a traveler or a MiFi device that's, that's similar, that's unlocked, that I can just drop a SIM in. Although I see, what's the, um, what is the name of the carrier... That does the MiFi where you can give away uh, data while you're on Isn't the train. Isn't it like Karma something? No, there's Karma, and then there's another one, and one of those is just the the other one that starts with an F. Who I'm drawing a blank on. They have just announced uh, they're going internationally as well. Um, so I'm I'm looking at those. I've got two other devices somewhere around here, but I don't. But I'm not remembering the name. I'll I'll come up with that later on. What oh, are by, some other? By the way, that that reminds me. The other things that I looked up during one of the commercial breaks is the other brands from Priceline that I was forgetting about where Kayak is a Priceline brand and also Agoda, which is a, um, a site that is more useful if you're booking in say Asia. And then the other thing that I looked up that I forgot to mention, if you're booking with Priceline, then you want to use the biddingtraveler.com site to help you figure out what price to name when you name your price. Nice. Yeah. Um, are there any other technology failures that are common that we haven't discussed that people should be aware of when they're traveling? Um, you know, we live in a pretty darn cool age in terms of travel technology, just even what you can do with any standard smartphone these days. It's just, we live in Star Trek, you know, Katie, uh, in terms of the fact that you can use Google translator, and it really actually works, Google Translate rather, and the fact that you can 
get things like on offline maps so that even if you turn off your data, we use Mapstite ME, for instance, and we're doing navigation, you know, around rural Bosnia and Croatia and things like that. It's just, it is a pretty cool time technology wise to be a traveler. So I, I don't know if I run into many failures. The only thing that I think you have to get used to is we're just so used to ubiquitous internet. Um, you know, just even the fact of, you know, how many times during a dinner conversation do you look something up because you want to be right? Uh, if you yeah. don't have that as or, or at least make sure the other guy's wrong. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember when they were doing the, uh, the Sopa Pippa and, you know, Wikipedia shut down for the day and somebody tweeted out, um, Wikipedia is down for the day. You can be wrong and no one will know. Exactly. Oh. Maybe. So that's the, that's the one thing you have to give that up a little bit. If you're, you know, I'll be going, for instance, I'm taking a group to Cambodia and I'm sure we'll be places where there just isn't even cell coverage. Um, although it's amazing in, in developing countries, how the cell coverage can be sometimes even better than in developing countries. Yeah. Because they didn't, they never bothered with, they the, never, bo- the they never laid the copper. Wires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the uh, one thing I used to do, and I ha- have to admit, I still do it, but I haven't needed it in some time, is before I go somewhere, I will go into the Maps app of choice, whatever that is for you, and I'll just take some screenshots of the right. a- mm-hmm. overhead of the area around my hotel and the area around the conference. And so if you get somewhere, like you don't want to be out at two in the morning and not have the internet for some reason and not know where you're at, or at least not have the ability to see a map. So... Uh, I usually take a few screenshots and, well, and I just put them and I in the And I used app. to do that, but um, nowadays my son-in-law has gotten me hooked on maps.me. Uh, now, Google Maps is also supposed to do offline maps soon, but I haven't had try, I haven't tried that yet. But maps.me, free maps for any country, any country I've ever tried. I don't know that they have every country in the world uh, that are good enough to navigate from either walking or driving. And you just have to know ahead of, you have to know ahead of time which countries you're going to. And I will and say that's that an, I did, that's an app. It's, a, it's an app and a website maps.me. Okay. It's, it's a little it's um, both Android and iOS. It's a little weird to compute. We say it's a website, but you're looking for maps that you need offline, but it's just, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you download them to your device. <laughs> exactly. The only trouble I ran into with that is that I went on a river cruise in Portugal. And so I downloaded the maps for Portugal and darn it. If the cruise didn't go into Salamanca, Spain and I <laughs> And I was sitting there in Salamanca going, guess I should have looked at the itinerary. So, you know, you do have to know ahead of time what countries you're going to, but that's really all you have to do. And then just download them. And it works great. It really works. I'm generally that guy, you know, like, um, you know, the Indiana Jones, um, I think it's the third one where he's talking about Marcus Brody. You can drop him anywhere. He speaks a dozen languages and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And then they cut to him and he's walking around. Does anyone speak English? That's me, you know. And, and even when I go into big cities in the U S I look like a deer in the headlights a little bit. Cause I've never really lived urban <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so much so that last year at WWDC, I, um, there was a, there was a developer there who was giving me directions back to the hotel at one in the morning. And he felt so sorry for me. He just walked me to the hotel. <laughs> I remember you telling us during, <laughs> yeah. but the, uh, so I do think it's important you use the technology and try and think ahead a little bit. And things like the Apple Watch. I mean, to me, Apple Watch is so key navigating an urban environment because it just taps your wrist, telling you when to turn left and right. So you don't look like the guy looking at your map as you're walking down the street. It allows you to be more aware. Um, but the uh, so technology can help you out with that stuff. Oh, um, absolutely. 
now, now the, the the real nerd request I have for you, Chris, is <laughs> is I really want to know what kind of stuff you take with you because we're the Mac Pal users and that's what we do. But I think we should probably talk about our last sponsor and then poke our heads in your bag. So our last sponsor for this episode is our pals over at Squarespace. And, you know, when it comes to building your own website and giving yourself a place online, we think there's no place better than Squarespace. You can put all the power you need in your hands um, and take away all the pain points. You don't have to worry about hosting. You don't have to worry about scaling. You don't have to worry about what happens if you get stuck. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding required. Their intuitive and easy-to-use tools will make your website look in feel exactly how you want. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people around the world, including some of the most respected brands in the world, like MyXSparky.com and KatieFloyd.com. Their site templates are stunning to look at. And they all feature responsive designs to make your site look great on any size device, whether you've got one of those fancy iPad Pros or whether you're looking at it on your iPhone. And getting started is easy. They've got a bunch of great features like 24-7 live support, either by chat or by email. Uh, They've got teams located across the globe in New York, Dublin, and Portland, so they're there to help you. They've got a commerce platform, so if you decide you want to start selling things on your website, no problem. They can handle that as well. They've got rock-solid, fast hosting, and so much more. And if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you should definitely check out their development platform that lets you dig in and code and tinker to your heart's content. And if you sign up for a year worth of Squarespace, they'll even give you a free domain name for that year, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month, and you can start a free trial now with no credit card required. Start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Mac Power users. We want to thank Squarespace for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, you should. You know, Katie, just really quick. I, you know, because Mac Sparky got approved by Apple. I'm one of the, in the Apple publishing thing you know the new and and squarespace the way they do the site it it was the rss feed wasn't taking at apple and so i sent an email to support this wasn't the people who like work with the podcast this is just the support guy and i said hey it's not working he's like oh that's terrible he gets the engineer the engineer like gets back with me in 24 hours and like two days later it works somebody at squarespace like reprogrammed the back end so it works with apple now very good company um, so, Chris, I know we're running a, a little bit long and, and your time yeah, is va- you. <laughs> yeah. and, and your time is valuable. So we, we probably don't have much more with you. But wh- why don't you give us just a, a few picks out of your your travel bag, some of your favorite things that maybe we haven't talked about on the show or or maybe you think people need to know about. And we'll put a link in the show notes to to one of your uh, longer posts on the topic. OK, uh, before we do that, I do want to leave you with one hotel pick that I think is good for your audience and that's a you know a lot of people already know about TripAdvisor hotel reviews but this is more for nerds like us it's hotelwifitest.com oh yeah i need that you, you basically you go when you're in a hotel you you want to go to this site and rate the wi-fi and then everybody else can use it to say if i'm going to be in san francisco how is the wi-fi at such and such or which hotels have better wi-fi um, because often the more you pay for the hotel room, 
the less you get with Wi-Fi. So anyway, uh, travel resources. Uh, what's in my bag and what would I pick? Um, gosh, well, yeah, I've got a whole post that we can we can post here. We've talked about the the Hutu. Um, you know, obviously the the most indispensable thing I would say is the MacBook Air, but you guys have talked about that a lot on the show. So I hope I don't need to sell anybody the advantages of having um, a nice light device like that. Do you use it much when traveling? Because that's, that's I use frequent... it as, as my only device. Yeah, okay. uh, so you don't do the software iPad, developer. Just bring the air. No, I have um, I have an uh, iPad Mini, but I basically switch to the Mini when I'm trying to entertain myself more. So I okay. use the iPad more for offline video for books occasionally when I'm not doing an audio book for games and things like that. When I'm doing work, I'm doing work on the on the air. And, and part of that's because I'm because I'm a programmer. I'm comfortable in the terminal. I'm comfortable writing my own Perl scripts to change. You know, when I get transcripts from, for instance, from people to reformat the transcripts by writing my own Perl scripts and things like that. And so there are things for me that I just can't do when I'm not on a laptop Yeah, and, and, and the air is so light. It's just such a pleasure to have compared to anything else I've ever had. Now, do you do um, anything for extra power for that? Or do you just uh, bring the, no, but I can get, I can get cross country uh, with a flight and still have power in it or even a 10 hour flight to Europe and still have power on my laptop. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it really does good battery life. Usually I will run out of energy before the, before the yeah. laptop does. That's the thing people forget. I mean, there's only, you only got so much gas in the tank for your own, you know, brain and fingers. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I don't know if there's any other, well, I, let's talk about noise canceling headphones. Uh, the other yeah. thing that you need to have, I think if you're going to do a fair amount of traveling that just saves you wear and tear on the plane is a decent set of noise canceling headphones. And, and honestly, I think they're at the point now that it's hard to find a pair that won't work for you. Um, so I just recently compared four different, you know, happened to have four different brands around the house and realized that as a travel vlogger, I really ought to review all four. And some of them were, you know, definitely cheaper. Some of them were more comfortable because they were larger. Um, you know, so there's different advantages and disadvantages to them. but really you want to get a pair of noise canceling headphones because even though they don't cut out all the noise in the plane, I think they just leave you landing at your destination with more energy just because you didn't have to listen to the baby who's three rows up and crying or, or your seatmate or, or whatever the issue is. And and these days I find that even for, you know, $55 or so you can get a decent pair. I'm using a, a, a pair by, um, what is the way the AKG is the one that I'm using right now. That's just really nice and small and lightweight. Um, but honestly, in terms of audio quality, I don't know that I can tell the cheap ones from the expensive ones anymore, uh, which now, is they, not the way it used to be for sure. Yeah. Are they all over ear or do they have in-ear ones now? One, Cause one of my hangups has always been, I just don't want to carry the things with me. If I go on a trip then I got these big cans, I got to like carry around everywhere. Right. Right. Well, there are, the ones that I reviewed are not in ear. They're varying sizes of over ear. The ones that I carry are are really tiny. Um, they basically fit within the palm of my hand um, with the case. But um, no, I haven't really tried as many of the in ears. I haven't found 
you know, I have found, for instance, just using like the the Apple normal earbuds, which is what I use constantly uh, because I'm always, you know, always listening to podcasts, uh, not just you guys, but uh, to a great variety of podcasts. But when I'm on the plane, they really just don't work that well. They don't they don't drown out the airline noise well enough. And I've tried that and some other ones, but I haven't found any in ear that I would recommend yet. Uh, it doesn't mean okay. there aren't out there, but I don't have a good pair. Katie, have you have you done the in, the uh, noise canceling headphones? Yeah, um, but I think I found an in ear pair. I think from Monoprice that were o- okay, but they're not as good. I think as the the over the ear pairs. But you know, it's just that they're so much more convenient to travel with. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to get a pair for my next big flight. I mean, just up to the Bay. Because <laughs> I'm always going to the Bay Area, and that's right. that's I don't worry about it. But like for the next long flight, I think I'm going to have to to do well, that the the akg pair are really nice in terms of size and there's another one that i reviewed that's also pretty small but they are over here so they're you know there is some size but they're probably uh maybe 50 percent larger and then deeper than uh than my iphone too but just in terms of footprint uh, when they fold up they don't take up that much space in my in my bag uh, enough so that I don't have to put them in the main compartment of my bag in with the laptop. I can put them in the in the external uh, compartment of the bag. And that makes a big difference for me just in terms of some of the other ones that I have just take up too much space. Um, they, they work fine, but I I don't want to carry them, especially if, if I'm going someplace where I really need to bring my SLR. That's going to be in my bag when I'm on the flight because I'm not going to put anything that's expensive in my carry-on. So, yeah. And do you still travel with your SLR or are you an iPhone I do. guy yet? I do still know. I, I'm definitely not going to be, I mean, I love the iPhone and I take a lot of pictures in the iPhone. I post a lot to, but just especially with the zoom, there's just, you can't do that with the iPhone. And I've got a couple of the external lenses and things like that, which work okay, but they don't turn it into an SLR. So now I am probably going to go in my next round of camera uh, to the mirrorless camera, but that's where I see a lot of my professional travel journalist friends going. And and I almost did it basically when I left my SLR any taxi in Buenos Aires in February. Um, I, I almost uh, to get a new camera. <laughs> yeah. I almost replaced it that way, but uh, decided to just get the same one that I have, uh, which is a, a relatively inexpensive camera, which is the, the Canon uh, T one, a T five. I sorry. Because I am loving that. I'm loving that DXO one I have, but it's not going to answer your problem because there's no zoom, but it does take a pretty nice picture with an and, iPhone. And zoom is pocket. something that I really can't live without. Um, we were, for instance, on a trip, an uncruise up in Southeastern Alaska where, you know, basically on the shore are grizzly bears, um, you know, frolicking. And even with the zoom I had, I wanted more. Um, so yeah. there are definitely times that, you know, having at least a 200 millimeter zoom, which is what I have, is just essential for what I'm trying to film. Now, Chris, here, here's a good one. You've, you've done 501 shows and, and a lot of people listening <laughs> to this have done the usual, you know, they've done the Hawaii and the sure, you sure. Know, Orlando trips and all that stuff. But what's a what's a good place people should look at that that haven't kind of gone out on the wild a little bit, but but it's a good first kind of exotic trip for people? A good first exotic trip. Um, okay, so I'm going to rule out then the ones that I don't think are exotic, and we need to figure out what 
your yeah. definition of exotic. <laughs> I'm talking so for a bunch some of some place with an umbrella in the drink. So rule out uh, England and France and Italy. Okay, we, as yeah, not okay. exotic. Yeah, okay? I agree. Good. So I would say, if you want to get to exotic, um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily do. <laughs> Alex Lindsay, he didn't mention this when you had him on the show talking about travel. His very first time he traveled to any other country was to Zimbabwe. Okay. I think that's jumping in the deep end. So okay. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but I might recommend Morocco. Um, we did a trip to Southern Morocco. We took a trip to group to Southern Morocco and it is definitely exotic. I mean, there were times that we, I was definitely in the, I am not in Kansas anymore. Uh, we were seeing things that were right out of game of Thrones. In fact, some of the scenery that we were seeing like Ait Ben Hudu, which is this mud based, um, Kazaa that looks like it was out of the middle ages and was used in game of Thrones because of that. And it's amazing to me, both that that places like that exist, but also that as we headed South towards the Sahara from there, half of the architecture looked that way. That's just the, they still are using that kind of architecture. So that would be one place. And Istanbul would be the other Istanbul would be easier in some ways because it's, if you've been to Europe and you were comfortable, it's going to be a lot like that, except that instead of cathedrals, you're going to have mosques, but very high level of infrastructure support and, um, but still very exotic. And if you're a history buff like me, places where there is just 2000 years of history and you can walk the old ancient walls of Theodosius, it's, it's fascinating. It's a, a beautiful city and an amazing city in terms of food and culture and history and all of that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about travel is just knowing the history of the place. I'm in oh, California yeah. where hist- old here is 80 years and you go even just to no, Europe. We, and, we go back 200, 200 you know, the, the missions are yeah. 200 years old. Uh, the yeah, old, the I mean, newest of the missions is from 19, uh, sorry, 1776. Yeah, but, uh, but boy, even the East Coast of the U.S. or even yeah, yeah, over to exactly. Europe or Asia, Asia, it's thousands of years. And uh, right. And so, well, I bet you have shows on all of those places. So everybody you need to if you're interested in traveling anywhere, we have the location for you. Go over to the Amateur <laughs> Traveler podcast. Well, before you get on your plane, you know, load up the podcast. You can listen to it with your noise canceling headphones. You probably should actually listen to it before you leave because I'm sure they've got some advice that'll allow you to do some bookings you in would advance. be amazed the number of times that i hear I, I we did a show with somebody who was a museum curator from for the third man museum in vienna dedicated to an a obscure uh movie uh spy movie set in vienna just post-world war ii and he said eight days after we did a show two different groups walked into the museum and said they heard about it on amateur traveler which he was you know, thrilled with, but he said they had downloaded it while they got on, got on the plane, listened to it on the plane and then walked into his museum a few days later. So, wow. uh, so it does happen. People do it all the time. Well, well, well yeah, Chris, we'll put links to so much of what we talked about in the show notes, but uh, we got the amateur traveler website. Where else these days can people find you online or, or your various other sites? Uh, that's probably the best place to find me. We put both the amateur traveler and the, this we can travel website there and all of my, uh, you know, uh, Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and all of those are linked to from there as well. 
All right. Well, we'll make sure that we have those. Chris, thank you so much for, for joining us on this episode. Uh, and we also want to say thanks to our sponsors, Ministry of Supply, FreshBooks, Smile, and Squarespace, as well as to all of our listeners who have become uh, members over on the Relay FM membership uh, system here. Uh, we really do appreciate all of your support. Um, if you have questions or feedback about anything that we talked about in this episode, you can send those uh, either via email or via an audio comment to us at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Uh, or we're on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm Katie Floyd, and David is Max Sparky. We'll see you all next week.